Hey, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 19. That's where we'll be uh, today, verses 1 through 10. And as you're turning there, I saved one announcement that I wanted to make for myself. Uh, many of you, maybe all of you know Alyssa. She works in our office. She runs everything. Well, yesterday she got engaged. She got engaged to Brad, who plot twist, if you don't know, is my brother. So yeah, crazy. Job security, right? Um, so man, we are delighted. We are so excited. My, my littlest kids are so confused. They're like, wait, we've known Alyssa forever, and now she's married. Wow. So it's, uh, it is wild. <laughs> I'll tell you that. We're, we're, we're so excited. Okay, well, let, let's jump into Acts chapter 19. Verse 1. I'm, I'm just going to jump in, even if you're not there yet, but you can catch up. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Um, and he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them uh, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Verse 8. And he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke, uh, spoke uh, boldly, reasoning and persu uh, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But, but when some had become stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul arrives in Ephesus, right? In verses 1 through 7, he meets uh, these, these 12 men who uh, said they were disciples. So naturally, we think, okay, disciples, they're Christian disciples. But Paul, I think pretty quickly, can tell something's not adding up here. Something's off. So he starts into a series of questions in verses 2 and 3. He says, did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when you believe? And they say, no. We don't even know of the Holy Spirit. So then Paul says, well, in, in what were you baptized, right? And, and there's, this, there, there's an assumption, right, that we, that we see in Acts, we see in, in the New Testament. Someone comes to faith in Christ, and they, they get baptized. So he says, what, what were you baptized into? And they respond, these disciples, they respond, into John's baptism, right? So Paul was right, right? His, his spidey senses were, were working. Um, obviously, it wasn't spidey senses. Um, but, but something was off here. The, these disciples, yeah, they were disciples, but it was of John the Baptist, right? And I'm sure that these were probably great guys. I mean, really nice, quality guys, sincere 
in their belief. Um, perhaps others would have described them as, as being committed, right, to their faith. They're passionate. Um, it's totally just a guess, but I'm, I'm guessing that they were even vocal about sharing the message that John had preached, right? The, the people were to repent. They were to believe in the Messiah who John was preparing the way for, right? In, in verse 4, Paul says, well, John baptized with this baptism, of repentance. And he told people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And and then Paul tells the most important part, and that is, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who who John was preparing the way for. So these disciples of John, I bet they nailed like every part of what John was saying, right? They they told people they, they had to repent. They told people to look for the Messiah who was to come, but they didn't know about Jesus. And we don't know how they missed hearing about Jesus. I, I would I would really doubt that they met John the Baptist themselves. Um, so it was probably uh, maybe his disciples that discipled them, or maybe it was disciples of his original disciples that discipled them, but they didn't know Jesus. Right? They were baptized into John's baptism, is not Jesus. They believed in God. Right? They believed that they needed to repent of their sin, but they didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know about the cross. They, they didn't know about the resurrection and the ascension. And, and Paul picked up on this. Right? He, he could tell like there, there's no evidence here in these disciples' lives of the Holy Spirit. Right? He didn't hear them talking about Jesus, so he, he gets into those questions. Right? He says, do you receive the Spirit when, when, when you believe? Well, no. Well, which led him to, okay, so what was your baptism about? Right? Because if, if they didn't have the Spirit, they, they must not have believed in Jesus and his thinking because to believe in Jesus, to be baptized, but not have the Holy Spirit, that we see in Scripture, that, that's an extreme anomaly because the Holy Spirit indwells every person who places their faith in Christ. And we, we've got to just pause there for a moment before we go any further. Right? We've got to let that soak in. I'm so glad that we sang that song, Behold Him. I've never heard it before, but it really was good just to stop and, and, and behold Christ. So right now I want to stop for a moment and, and behold that every believer has the Spirit dwelling in them. Right? I know some of you in this room, you've been, you've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive. And for others, maybe you've just been following Jesus for a few years, or actually we've got some, we've got some people, I think, brand new Christians, like all of this is pretty new for you. But there's a, there's a challenge that every Christian faces through uh, their, their time in following Christ. And, and the challenge is that, to not just get used to this reality of of being saved, right? To, to not take for granted, to not forget what we have in Christ, right? And, and it, it can become, like our, our Christianity can become so ho-hum, right? Just this, yes, I know God. That yes, he forgave me of my sin. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives within me, and I'll, I'll spend eternity with God forever in unending joy and delight with the creator of all things, right? We don't want to live our Christian life that way. Um, if you've been married for some time, you can relate to this challenge. And, and my, my, uh, my brother and Alyssa uh, getting engaged, this works out well right now for this illustration, right? You, you remember, if, you, if you've been married, you remember 
what it's like to get engaged. You remember how you felt that the lovey-dovey emotions, right? What's happening in our bodies is, is our body, when we fall in love, it makes this, this chemical. So you're you're getting high, but it's okay because the Lord made it that way, right? I don't know if I should have said that, but um, it, it, God's, it's, it's happening in your body. You feel all this, and that lasts, I think it's like 18 to up to 24 months you feel that, right? So, so you first get married, and, and man, you don't even want to go to work, right? You, you don't want to do anything that could take you away from just staring into the eyes of your beloved. But at some point, the lovey-dovey feeling, it fades, right? And, and your brain goes, wait, the body's not reacting to that chemical in the same way anymore. I'm actually going to stop making that chemical. And, and, and suddenly, I'm going to work sometimes, like, that actually doesn't sound so bad, right? And, and, and you used to have very little about your spouse that, that kind of got under your skin, but man, that list is growing bit by bit. And you realize, I don't know, maybe a couple of years into marriage, like, marriage is work. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But, but like, it, 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 takes, it takes work to continue uh, in that love that you have for this person that you covenanted with, this, this person that you said, till death do you part. It, it takes work to, to, to grow in that love together, um, for some reason, I don't know why, so I get home from work, and I try to put my stuff down. I walk the dog if that's needed, and I try to just jump right in and help with dinner or homework or whatever's going on, and everything's kind of a rush. I mean, my wife works too, so we both get home, and we're just kind of in it together, making everything happen, and we get dinner on the table. We, you know, whatever. We laugh and talk about the day. And then we get into cleanup mode and kids are doing homework or going to practice or whatever. And I can't explain why, but for some reason, oftentimes it's during that time that I'm like, man, I haven't even really like, I don't even know if I've really said much to my wife at all since I've been home. Like I haven't, I haven't told her I love her. And so I'll just, like she's putting away something or scrubbing something, I'll just stop her, I'll turn her towards me and I give her a hug, right? And then I, I gross out my kids and I'll, I'll kiss her, right? Um, I, I love grossing them out that way. Um, but man, I just, I want her to know that 22 years later, I love her. And, I, and I, I've not done this well you know, through seasons of my marriage. But, but if you're married, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. And, and it's similar. I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but I think there's parallels here in, in knowing God. Like, we can just get so used to that Jesus condescended, right? That he gave his life up for us, right? Cindy and I were talking that, that he chose the criminal's death, right? He, he chose that for us. We, we, we can just get so, so used to even gathering as a church every Sunday. Man, I, I don't want to be used to any of this, right? I, I want to be blown away to connect it back to our passage. I want to be blown away that, that the Spirit dwells in us. Right? Romans 8, 9 says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So is there evidence in your life of the Holy Spirit? Right? How, how do you see the Holy Spirit at work in your life? And this is a tricky question for me, right? Because 
for people that, that do not know Jesus yet, I want you to hear this question. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying that there will be this recognition like, yes, I, I have not yet trusted in Christ. I do not have the Holy Spirit. And then simultaneously, I don't want my genuine brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, I don't want you to panic and go, oh my goodness, right? Because you, you, you don't know how to identify the Spirit's work in your life. So let me give you the, this, this one very, very sure way that, that the Spirit is in you. And, and it's, it's that you believe in Jesus as your Savior. Belief in Jesus does not come apart from the Spirit's work. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul said this. Uh, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I read one author, he said this about the Spirit. It says, He imparted life. He gave you life so that you would no longer be dead, no longer be blind, no longer be hostile toward God, no longer be unable to please God, no longer be rebellious, no longer view the cross as foolishness. Instead, you saw the glory of Christ in the gospel. You saw it was uh, it as more beautiful, more desirable than the things of this world. You were made alive by the Spirit of God. God was real and precious and beautiful. You were no longer blind. You saw the cross and Christ and his way and his word as more attractive than the promises of sin. Instead of hostility to God, you loved him and you wanted to please him. Instead of doubt and suspicion and hardness, you saw his promises as true and you trusted in them, banked on those promises. Christ became your treasure. Man, does that describe you? Right? Is that what the Spirit has done and is doing in you? And if not, I ask, have you placed your faith in Jesus, right? Have you confessed your sin? Have you confessed the absolute necessity that Jesus would die in your place on the cross? Do you believe that he rose from the dead, that he, he has and he, he is offering forgiveness to you? He offers you eternal life. Acts 19, these men, uh, th- th- there was no evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Right? They say they haven't heard. And that, we read that, and, and maybe some things go off. You're like, wait, how, how could they not have heard? Right? Like, certainly, uh, they would have heard uh, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, or even John, his teaching. He said, Messiah's going to come. He's going to baptize you in the Spirit. So it seems much more likely that, that they hadn't heard of the Spirit's outpouring at Pentecost. They, they just didn't know what God had done. Late in the uh, 18th century, there were uh, uh, many colonists that left Virginia, and they headed up the mountains, and their goal was to settle in these valleys that were uh, to the west. Uh, but obviously, this was difficult to pass through these mountains. So for many different uh, hardships, some people didn't make it to those valleys, and they ended up settling in those mountains. Uh, and there was a group, uh, this small community of, of settlers that for 20 years, they didn't see another colonist, right? They didn't see any, any other white people until one day uh, there was a group of, of travelers that straggled through and happened upon this group that had been up there for 20 years. So naturally, these settlers were curious about the outside world. They did zero context. They get into conversation, and the, the travelers asked, um, 
what these mountain settlers thought of the new republic and, and, and the policies of the Continental Congress. And, and the settlers just looked at each other for a moment, and, and then one said something along the lines of, we, we have not so much as heard of a Continental Congress or a republic. But they thought of themselves as loyal subjects to the British king this whole time. And they'd been living that way for 20 years in these remote mountains. They'd never heard of George Washington. They didn't know anything about the Revolutionary War. So these men that Paul encounters in Ephesus, right, they'd, they'd come into contact with John the Baptist's teaching, right, this preparing the way for the Christ. But they hadn't heard that the Christ had come. But they were essentially living like an Old Testament believer that didn't understand the new age was ushered in by Jesus the Christ. They were unaware of the spirit indwelling every believer. But, but let's look at, at how they respond to the truth. And this passage is going to give us three, three different uh, pictures of people responding to truth, the truth of the gospel. Two are positive, one is negative. Let's look at this one. Paul teaches them, they, they recognize that Jesus was in fact the one that John the Baptist had spoken of, and they respond by believing in Jesus. And in verse 5, we see that they're baptized in the name of Jesus. I just think, what, what humility here, right? And, and that will be contrasted in just a little bit in verse 9 against stubborn unbelief. But here, these disciples of John, they're ready. They're ready to learn. They're ready to receive instruction about Jesus. And, and in response, they believe in Jesus. They put their faith in him. And the Spirit gives life. Man, are we humble before the Lord? Are, are we humble enough to learn from others? Right? E even another believer who maybe hasn't been following Jesus nearly as long as you or, or hasn't been to all the studies that you've been to or, or the training that you have. And are we humble when we come to this book? Are we humble when we come to Scripture? Do we recognize that there will be places in Scripture that, man, we don't like it, at least at first, right? We wrestle and wrestle, and we need God to show us, right, what his word says. There will be times when our flesh questions, man, did God really say that? Right? Like Satan to Eve, did God, did God really say that? And we've got to remember that, that what we do as believers is we filter our experiences. We filter our, our thoughts, our passions through Scripture, right? Not the other way around. We don't start telling the Bible how it is. We let the Bible tell us how it is as we sit in God's Word, as we wrestle in God's Word. So are you humble enough? to say, God, I'm following you. I'm going to do what you say. Even if it isn't what you would naturally choose, I'm following you. Well, these men, they hear instruction about Jesus, the gospel, and they believe. And then verse 6, verse 7, Paul uh, in verse 6 lays hands on them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin speaking in tongues and, and prophesying, which demonstrates that, yes, they have the Holy Spirit. But there's a natural question that maybe some of you ask when you come to a passage like this. Is speaking in tongues or prophesying like what we all should expect, right? Is this just like the Christian experience? Well, here, here are four norms in, in coming to Christ that we, we should expect. Uh, repentance, 
faith in Christ, baptism, and, and by that I mean getting dunked, right? Like getting dunked in the water, and then gift of the Holy Spirit. All, all of these are a part of our, our coming to Christ. But we see this laying on of hands that Paul's doing. It's like, what is going on there? Well, it's like a mini Pentecost. If we think back to, to Acts 2, this laying on of hands and then, and then the demonstration of the Spirit by them speaking in tongues and prophesying, it's, it's showing like, yes, these guys in Ephesus, they are in fact believers, right? God has incorporated this group into the body of Christ. And Luke in Acts he really just follows the Great Commission for us, right? The, the, the church in Jerusalem, and then Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost. So we see in Acts 2 that Jews on the day of Pentecost, right? And then you remember when we get to Cornelius, this God-fear, and, and, and the, the gospel comes to them. They believe, they receive the Spirit. We remember the Samaritans, I think, in uh, maybe chapter 8, uh, and then now these men here in Ephesus. So all four groups receive the, the Holy Spirit. They, they have this empowerment of the Spirit, and it proves, it shows us, yes, these are all, they all have equal standing in the body of Christ. I think that's what Luke is doing here. That's what he's showing us, that, that the Spirit manifesting through tongues here and prophecy, this shows, like, hey, they're included in God's family. Let's keep going. Verse, verse 8, he uh, enters the synagogue and he speaks, it says, boldly with reason and persuasion. And I know as we've been in Acts for, for quite a while now, one thing that I find myself praying more and more regularly as I read about the early church is boldness. Right, boldness to speak about him. I don't know if that's, if that's what God's stirring in you too, but I think we all would benefit from praying that more and more, that we would not shrink away from the opportunities that God gives us, right? that, that we would be ready to walk through doors where we get to speak about Jesus, where we get to talk with a neighbor, coworker, friend about, about spiritual beliefs, right? And, and, and talk about scripture, talk about the gospel. Now, we want to be bold, right? I just said, we're, I'm praying for that. There's, there's obviously ways to be bold that are not helpful, right? There, there are bold people that supposedly in the name of Jesus, um, that really they're, they're just loud. They're, they're annoying. Uh, even worse, maybe they're jerks. Um, none of those are productive. But, but sometimes there's a boldness too by supposed Christians, and they're just wrong in what they're proclaiming about God. I had a friend who knew scripture well, but man, he started getting some, some weird ideas. He started really getting off in, in his theology and in, in, in how he was living uh, his, what he called his, his faith. And the weirder he got, the bolder he got, the louder he got, right? So we don't, we don't just want to be bold. So let, let's look at Paul here, because in this boldness, it, it says that, that he's reasoning, right? He's persuading, and, and we need more of that. Right? We need more of that in our world. I look at today, and I don't, I don't mean just in the church, I just mean in culture, so many arguments are coming out of emotion, right? And, and, and I see a lot of fear. And certainly we are emotional creatures, right? I say that even to uh, the engineers and the accountants in the room and whoever else I should have made fun of there, I don't know. Um, but God has made us this way. Right? We, we have emotions, but man, it, it seems like right now emotions rule the day in so much of our culture. Right? Even when they're 
can be logical, concrete cases one way. Man, emotion seems to win out. We see this, we see this in all the, the hot like, issues in society, right? We see this in politics over the past many years. An emotional case so often beats out logic. Right, a 140-character tweet or, 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 or a short video clip of, of some interview that's like spliced together to, to say what we want it to say, it can go viral, and, and it stirs deep within people, and it causes this, this wave, like this tsunami, right? And then days, weeks, maybe months later, more things come out about this incident, and, 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 and we get this fuller picture, but man, it's, it's too late. It, it doesn't matter what, what truth is at that point because that tsunami of emotion is, is coming. I went yesterday, uh, we had friends that, uh, they, they lived down in Roseburg and their sons had a soccer game. So we caught the second half of that. It was a, it was a tight game. Both teams were really good. So it's 0-0 zero, zero, uh, into the second half. Uh, my, my friend's son's team, they had multiple chances on goal. They just, they couldn't seem to convert. And then maybe with like 20 minutes left, the other team has this counterattack, breakaway, beats that last defender. All he needs to do is beat the goalie. And, it, and you're just going, oh, man, this is going to be a goal. And the kid shoots. And I'm watching, like, ah, oh, crud. And, and we're on the clear other end of the field, so it's a little hard to see. But I look, and, and the ball, like, kept going. Like, it's on the track behind the goal. And, and even though my brain said, there's no way that kid missed that shot, I, my heart said, the ball's behind the goal. It, he did not score. So the goalie for, for the, the, the team, that, that uh, uh, my friend's son's team, he, he picks up the ball and, and puts it there like it's a goal kick, right? And the ref, the ref is going, yeah, it's a goal kick. And the kids in the other team, the kid that shot the goal, is like, no, I scored a goal. Like, this kid's freaking out, right? And if you did score a goal and the, the, the guy says it's not a goal, you probably should freak out. So this kid's losing his mind. I think he's going to get thrown off the field. The coach is yelling like everybody's freaking out. But the parents that I'm sitting with, this is good for us, right? So we're calm. We're very calm. And then the ref, like two minutes later, he's like, it's, nothing's happened yet. He's talking to the, the Lions judge, and he comes back and he says, it's a goal. And, dude, the parents near me lose it, right? And I'm like, I care about my friend's kids, but I'm going to be okay, right, if that was a goal or not. So they're losing it. I'm kind of like, yeah, it's not a goal. You can't do that. Anyway, my friend looks at me and goes, we'll talk to the boys after. We'll find out if that was a goal or not. Well, sure enough, after the game, talks to his son. He goes, hey, did they score a goal? He's like, yeah, there's a hole in the net, and it just rolled right through. <laughs> right? Well, we find that out, but there's still parents on this team that are like, I don't care. You can't, you can't say it wasn't a goal and then change your mind, even though, like, no, the kids, your own team said they scored a goal. Like, man, we're emotional. And, and sometimes we can, get, we can get so caught up in all of that, right? Even though she knew at that point it was a goal, she didn't care, right? And there are strong emotions that the gospel stirs up just as it should, Right? We, we, should, we should feel something knowing that, that the Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God in our hearts. But believing in Jesus isn't, it isn't solely about how we feel. Yeah, yeah, we do get to experience God's love. There, there are great emotions connected with knowing God. But man, if my faith was based on how I feel, there'd be so many days where my faith would really be non-existent. There are days, there are seasons, 
there's circumstances that some of you are living through right now that just feel so bleak, where you feel crushed. And if your faith was dependent on how you felt in that moment, it would be dead. So yes, we love God with our heart and our soul and our mind. Right? There are days when, when, when I need my mind to tell my heart, my emotions, you just got to chill out. You need to believe what God's word says and trust. And here, Paul, he reasons, he persuades from the scriptures about the kingdom of God. He's in a synagogue, right? So these, these people, obviously, they, they want to know. They're very interested in knowing what the Hebrew scriptures said, right? So as he's, he's tracing all this and, and pointing them to the Messiah, he's talking about the gospel. He's pointing them to Jesus, and, and, and some of them, we're ready, but here's how some others respond in verse 9. It says, Some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. Their hearts were hard. Right? It, it, it did not matter what Paul said. Right? They heard Paul's logic. They followed him through the scriptures, but they refused to believe. They were stubborn. They were too filled with pride to admit that Paul was right, that the, the gospel was right. And we, man, every one of us knows what it's like to be in a situation where you do not want to admit that the other person was right. Not even that you were wrong, but that they were right. I've told this story before, but it, some of you haven't heard it. So several years ago, I went uh, on a trip, a short-term missions trip with people from our church to Haiti. Um, I hadn't packed yet. It's the night before I was going to leave that next afternoon. So I pack fairly quickly, um, and it's late. I get to bed. My sweet wife, who is so wise, says, Greg, let me ask you what you packed to make sure you have everything. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm a grown man. Like, I, I've never been to Haiti before, but I've packed several times. I was so stupid, so stupid. So I'm laying there. I'm like, fine, ask me. Quiz me on my packing skills. She says, you bring socks? Yep. Bring two pairs of pants? Yep. One to get dirty and one that I can wear to church. You bring a belt? Yes. You bring shirts? Of course I did. Did you bring you know, on and on and on? And then she says, did you pack underwear? And the world stopped. I didn't. Somehow, I forgot to pack any underwear. And, and in that moment, I was wrong. And I didn't want to be wrong, but even worse was my wife being right. So I had to decide how, as a, as a good Christian man, how do I respond to this and not let her know that she's right without lying? So, so I said something like, what do you think? <laughs> and then we go to bed. Um, and then we get up the next morning, and she's getting ready. When, she, when there's no chance at her seeing me run to my underwear drawer, I run over, grab as much as I can, throw it in my bag, zip it up as if nothing had happened. I didn't tell her for weeks that I did this. And then finally I told her, man, that's a silly example. Don't let that be you with the truth of the gospel. Right? There are people that no matter what logical argument for Christ is made, no, no matter what God does in your life to, to demonstrate his love for you, there are people that, that are stubborn and they're not going to believe. They refuse to believe. They're going to hold strong to their position. We call that being closed-minded, right? And, and each one of us knows what it's like to be stubborn in different areas. But man, don't be stubborn 
in what you believe about Jesus. Don't be stubborn in, in what you believe uh, about the problem of sin. Don't be stubborn in what you believe about heaven and hell and life after this life. And, and my Haiti underwear story, that's funny, right? I'm a dork that I was so stupid and stubborn, but ultimately, that's not a big deal. Right, but Jesus is not a place, Scripture's not a place where, where you want to be stubborn. You want to look at it, and, and truth is right before your eyes, and you say, no, I refuse to believe that. You do not want that. Well, Paul leaves in verses 9 and 10. It says that he goes, takes the disciples with him, and he's daily teaching for two years. Right? Daily teaching for two years. This is a ton of teaching. From everything I read, it seemed like people estimated that he's probably teaching four to five hours a day, right? And this is this discussion that he's having with people through the scripture. So let's let's just do some quick math um, and, and confession. I did stop taking math when I realized I was going to Bible college, so I may have gotten some of this wrong, but I tried to keep it really easy for me. If I'm wrong, don't tell me now. Tell me like next week. Um, so so let, let's say let's say he was actually just teaching six days a week, right? And let's Let's throw in there, like he gets sick sometimes, maybe he goes on a retreat. So let's just cut it down to, let's say he taught 300 days a year for two years, right? So uh, that's 600, so far I'm right, 600 days, right? Five hours a day, so we're up to 3,000 hours of teaching, right? So let's compare that to this, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak longer than half an hour today, I already have, but, but let's say sermons are half an hour here. Right, so so we've got that three thousand hours. So now, man, that's six thousand sermons for us. Let's say you come to church a ton. I mean, you're here almost all the time. Fifty Sundays, you make it here. How many how many years you got to come to get the same amount? Any quick math, people? I think it's 120 years. <laughs> I want to be here a long time. I'm not going to be here that long, right? We need. We need solid teaching, and we need a lot of it. We need a solid diet of God's word. And I think most of us are, most American Christians, we're pretty soft when it comes to digging into God's word, when it comes to, to, to putting ourselves under good teaching. So one question that, that I have for you is, man, are, are you just trying to grow in Christ on your own? Right? Americans, for the most part, we are fiercely independent, but that's not what we see in the church. Right? In the New Testament church, we see that God has created us with this need for one another. Uh, I'm not a runner, but I've, I've heard that many runners do not, uh, or I should say some runners don't want to run with anyone else because they feel like they can, they can just go faster if they're, if they're on their own. But there have been plenty of studies that have shown that, that, that people, when they run together, yeah, they might not run as fast, but they almost always will run further than, than if they were just on their own. Obviously, there's exceptions to that rule. Man, don't try to run this life in Christ on your own. You need other Christians, right? So one immediate option that's great that Andrew talked about earlier is this Bible study methods class, Monday nights, 630 to 8. Man, come to it. And I get, for some of you, that might be the scariest thing in the world to think about coming together with these other people and, and maybe being wrong about some things. I promise you, you're going to be encouraged coming to this class. You're going to be encouraged and you're going to walk away with some tools. You're going to walk with conversations that, that you now feel more comfortable having with other people here about the Bible. So, man, jump into that. We, we, have, we have some Bible studies through the year, too. Uh, uh, Sherry's was mentioned. There's a few spots left there. Uh, there's there's a, a guy's Bible study uh, Friday mornings. You can talk to Scott about that. 
But man, we need, to, we need to do this together. If you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, get them on the retreat that's coming up in February. They're going to have a great time just in God's word together. But, but we, need, we need to continue to love God with our minds, right? And that's the response of this group. Certainly, some of them came to know Christ, and, and yet they just keep coming. They were eating it up. They were, they were hungry, and they're digging in more and more. There can be a critique of the church at times. I'm not, I'm not saying our church, but of churches that that, that church is, is too out of balance in their teaching. Like they just teach way too much, right? They're, or their their teaching's way too heady, right? They're spending too much time learning. That is so rarely the problem. In fact, I'm not sure that that is the problem ever. Right? And when we compare ourselves to what we see here with Paul in the hall of Tyrannus, that's not our problem. The critique, though, of not living out your faith, that is a fair critique, right? But it has nothing to do with, with you getting too much teaching, right? This is not why Christians don't live out their faith. We don't live our, our faith for any number of reasons, right? We're too selfish with our time. Maybe we're scared or we're lazy. We're too distracted by opportunities that we have in life, and we pour ourselves into these things, but they end up just being worthless. Maybe, maybe that's why. We're not living out our faith, but it, but it isn't that we're spending all this time learning about God. Man, these people that we see in the Hall of Tyrannus here with Paul, they're digging in. They're discussing for hours. They're coming back day after day after day. That's how they responded to the truth of the gospel. They just wanted more. They were hungry for it. So as we wrap up here, who are you most like in this passage? Like which of these three examples or are you like the people who, maybe you're a person that doesn't yet know Jesus, right? And, and you're hearing about Jesus, and, and are you ready to respond in faith? Like, are, you've heard enough. Are you ready to trust in Jesus as your Savior? Or are you like the people that were stubborn, they refuse to believe? It really doesn't matter what you're told. It doesn't matter what you see in Scripture. You're never going to believe because you refuse to. Or are you like these people in the Hall of Tyrannus? They, they put their faith in Jesus, and they're just hungry. They're hungry to learn and grow and live out this faith. And let me actually pose another one that wasn't in the passage here, but, but I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this. Are, are you a person who at one time, yes, you put your faith in Christ, like genuinely became a believer, but over time, for whatever reason, you, you just kind of started coasting in your faith? And maybe now, today, you realize you're on life support or really, really close. It made me think of Revelation 2, 4, and 5. Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works that you did at first. And I think some in the room or online, like you need to hear those words today. And I ask, has, has your life in Christ just been on autopilot? Maybe it's just been a few weeks, months, maybe years. Well, God, in his grace, in his goodness, he says, remember the love that you had for Christ. Remember from, from where you've fallen. Remember the need that you have for Jesus. He, he calls you to repent, and today is a great day. Today is a great day to repent, to turn to Jesus. And he says, do the works, right? Live out your faith. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, we thank you.
We thank you for your word. We thank you that by your spirit, we, we, we can come to believe in you. God, we, we thank you for good teaching. I mean, we live in a time where we have access to the best Bible teachers all over the world. God, would we not, would we not put it on cruise control, Lord? Would, would we not be stubborn, Lord? Would we, would we just be so ready to respond to you, so ready to trust in you, so ready, to, so ready and so hungry to just keep learning more and more about you, Lord, and your great love for us, your, your, your unbelievable plan to save people unto yourself, Lord, that if it wasn't in Scripture, there's no way we could think this is true. Jesus, we love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.